Informing America's farmers and ranchers. This is AOA, produced by the American Ag Radio Network. Now, here's your host, Jesse Allen. And thank you so much for joining us here today on Agriculture of America AOA. Great to have you along as we talk about what's going on, issues impacting rural America, and much more. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. AOA today brought to you by our friends at Cenex, Cenex Premium Diesel and Cenex Roadmaster XL. Everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. And we have a great show lined up for you here today. We'll have a conversation with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley coming up here in segment two. We'll get an update on the farm bill, the appropriations battles. Will we have a government shutdown or not? We're going to uh, ask Senator Grassley about all that and more coming up here in segment two. In segment three today, we're going to be joined by U.S. Meat Export Federation President and CEO Dan Hallstrom. He is on a trade mission in Tokyo, Japan. We're going to be uh, catching up with him halfway around the world, talk about the July uh, export numbers on the beef and pork side and lamb as well, and get an idea of what exactly they're doing on this trade mission here this week. They've been spending time in South Korea and now in Japan, as I mentioned. So we're going to talk to Dan Hallstrom coming up in segment three today. End of the show as well. I'll have a recap of the World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates Report that came out on Tuesday and the crop production numbers from USDA. We're going to run through those and some other news headlines as well. Kicking things off, though, joining us now, the CEO of the National Potato Council, Cam Corals, is with us. Cam, it's great to have you back on AOA. I hope you're doing well. Doing great. Always great to be with you, Jesse. Thank you. Well, let's dive in, and I know that uh, just on Tuesday, you submitted testimony uh, to the 2025 Dietary Guidelines Advisory Committee. I'd love for you to uh, give us a little bit of background on on what is going on with this committee and your testimony that you provided them as well in regards to uh, potatoes and how that fits into the Dietary Guidelines. Could you talk about this a little bit? Sure, absolutely. This is a this is a twice a decade process that goes on. So dietary guidelines uh, will uh, it's a joint process between the Department of Health and Human Services and the Department of Agriculture. Uh, you they stand up a panel of experts and they look at all of the various issues surrounding um, uh, nutrition for Americans, and then they provide recommendations on uh, how to how to modify government recommendations on meal planning, uh, what commodities should be included uh, or enhanced in federal feeding programs, all of those kinds of things. It really sets the foundation for federal policies that will go across the government into things like what you were mentioning earlier, uh, the Farm Bill and and, uh, other processes. So it's a very Mm -hmm. big deal. And whatever the decisions are made, they will echo for five years until the next dietary guidelines process comes up. Well, let's talk about how potatoes play a role in here. And I know uh, you sent me over a copy of your testimony. I was able to kind of look through this a little bit. And I know one of the big points you made that potatoes are a vegetable and we shouldn't recognize potatoes as a grain, correct? Yeah, it's uh, it's it's frustrating for me to have to be delivering that testimony, Jesse, because you know for a lot of folks it's just it's kind of yeah a lot of them have the reaction you just did is why are we discussing this? But um, uh, you know some of some of your academic uh, experts, being what they are, 
um, they this potential reclassification uh, right now, potatoes are the most widely produced vegetable in the United States also one of the most uh, affordable and flexible however academics want to take a look at that and it's, it has nothing to do with the physical characteristics of the potato, no, nothing to do with its nutrient quality. It's, it's what people may substitute potatoes for on, on their dinner plate. Um, and they've, they've decided that potatoes are substituted often with stuff in the grains category, rice and those kinds of things. Um, we, we have pointed out to them, and I did in my testimony, the tremendous amount of confu consumer confusion that would come from taking the most widely produced vegetable in the United States and calling it something else. And all of the impacts, Senator Grassley is going to talk in a few minutes about the Farm Bill. Um, one of the most active uh, uh, and well-known of the specialty crop uh, uh, constituents in the Farm Bill would no longer be a specialty crop. It would just cause chaos throughout federal policy for consumers, certainly all the schools that rely on potatoes to be a foundation mm -hmm. of kids' meals. Uh, it's all of those kind of, kind of echoes that we really want to tamp down. Uh, we're, we're hopeful that common sense prevails here, Jesse. I was going to say, fascinating to me that, that we're even going down this road here, Cam. Uh, and obviously, to your point, you know, we want to look at increasing vegetable consumption and, and maintaining, you know, the use of potatoes, which, again, as you pointed out, the most widely produced vegetable in the U.S., continuing to have that uh, consumption increased and labeled as a vegetable. Uh, to me, uh, that, that's I'm with you. It seems like common sense here, Cam. Yeah, it really does. And, uh, you know, for the they're. Potatoes are loaded, loaded with nutrients, and the other part of it is, and I'm sure Senator Grassley is going to talk about this, both in regard to the appropriations process and the farm bill, um, the, there's not a lot of money floating around, and potatoes are yeah. tremendously affordable. So, you know, taking them and moving them into another category, taking them away as an option for all of these federal programs or reclassifying them, it's a complete mess. And, you know, as you and I have talked before, Jesse, there's a there's a lot of ideas in Washington. Some of them are good. This is not one of those. This is a terrible idea, and we, we want common sense to prevail. Cam, how could folks stay up to date with this process going on with the dietary guidelines and the advisory committee? And I'm sure we'll be getting some, some final uh, rules here eventually. I mean, how's this process work, and how can we stay updated? Yeah, again, it's targeted for a 2025 uh, implementation. Uh, and the, that obviously had, there's a number of factors that are kind of out of folks control there, but that's, that's the general, um, plan. And so they will be having public hearings, releasing data, asking questions of, uh, the industry broadly, um, for the next, uh, year plus, and then be revealing, uh, what they, uh, what they, their final conclusions are somewhere around the time of, uh, the beginning of 2025. So yeah, mm -hmm. we're, we're good, obviously going to be an active participant in that. A uh, lot of, a lot of public hearings and, uh, we're, we're very hopeful that these DGAs are going to create a tailwind for, uh, potatoes and not become a hindrance to our, to our industry. Well, of course, we'll stay close with uh, you and the National Potato Council on this issue. And as you mentioned as well, any of those public, uh, hearings, public comment periods, I would think if, Folks have questions, uh, they need to look for one of those uh, public hearings and make their voice heard, right, Cam? 
That's it, Jesse. That's exactly right. Well, and again, we always appreciate the time and, and highlighting issues like this for us here on AOA. Cam Corals, the CEO of the National Potato Council. Uh, always appreciate you joining the show, Cam. Have a fantastic rest of your week, and uh, we will be talking with you again real soon. Thanks for having me, Jesse. Cam Corals, CEO of the National Potato Council, joining us here today on AOA. And again, uh, very interesting stuff. Hopefully common sense prevails there. All right, coming up next, we're going to have a conversation with Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley here on AOA. AOA Today brought to you by Cenex, Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. We'll be back with more AOA on the way right after this. On the latest episode of the Monthly Grind, we talked corn as a feedstock for sustainable aviation fuel with Sarah McKay and John Del Motti from NCGA's Market Development Action Team. Essentially, when we say SAF or sustainable aviation fuel, that is fuel that is produced from sustainable feedstocks like corn, which is you know pretty much identical in chemistry to the traditional petro-based jet fuel, but is made from, from corn, whether it's from corn oil in one of those pathways for SAF, or you can also do an ethanol to jet that alcohol pathway is also another pathway that can be pursued for sustainable aviation fuel. When I look at the, the fuels market as a whole, is there's discussions around the automotive market maybe moving more toward electric. We sort of have to ask ourselves, so what happens to that ethanol demand? SAF creates a huge, huge market for that product. And ultimately, the bigger point is, is it creates demand for coal. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the Monthly Grind. It's a show you don't want to miss. At Bayer, we think farmers have made enough trade-offs. That's why we created VT4 Pro with RNAi technology, so you don't have to choose between yield potential or our widest spectrum of insect protection. You get both. And you're even protected against notorious pests like corn earworm and corn rootworm. Visit vt4pro.com to trade up without the trade-offs. Read and follow pesticide label directions, IRM grain marketing, and other stewardship practices. Copyright 2023 Bayer Group. Always reserved. The landscape of media has changed and people are more skeptical than ever about where they get their news and information. While major news outlets show decreasing credibility, your local farm radio station still shows strong marks. In a recent survey, farmers rated information from their farm broadcasters as almost twice as reliable as major news outlets. Farm radio continues to be transparent, honest, and trustworthy. This message brought to you by the National Association of Farm Broadcasting. What do Mick Jagger, Barbara Walters, and Star Jones all have in common? They've all suffered from something called heart valve disease. Heart valve disease affects 11 million Americans, and if left untreated, can lead to death. Unfortunately, less than one in four Americans have much knowledge of this disease that kills more than 25,000 people every year. The good news is that if heart valve disease is treated, patients can recover and live long, happy, and productive lives. But in order to treat heart valve disease, you need to know if you have it. If you or your loved ones are over the age of 65, have been treated with radiation to the chest, have been diagnosed with a heart murmur, or have a history of heart disease, it's time to listen to your heart. Ask your doctor today about screening for heart valve disease. A message brought to you by Heart Valve Voice U.S. For more information about the symptoms and treatment for valve disease, go to heartvalvevoice-us.org.
Information America's farmers and ranchers need, AOA. Now, back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA here today, brought to you by Sedex Premium Diesel. With Sedex Premium Diesel, you can count on a diesel that will keep your operation in top shape. Jesse Allen back with you here, and let's not waste any time. Joining us now, Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley is on AOA with us. And Senator Grassley, it's great to have you uh, back on the show. I hope you're doing well. Very well, except for uh, drought at, uh, in Butler County, all of Butler County and all of Bremer County, I think is about as bad as any place. So obviously uh, we're very concerned about uh, the less uh, production we're going to have. Uh, last year, uh, during the summer, I had 21 inches of rain. So far this year, 10 inches of rain. Man, and I, uh, my uh, mom up there in Floyd County in, uh, near Charles City has said the same thing. I know they're having a lot of drought issues that way, and she mentioned some folks are already getting ready to uh, take some corn out. That's how dry it is. There are some folks around your home farm there in Butler County already taking some corn out here? Yeah, Robin's got some beans out that aren't very good. Uh, it started corn yesterday, and I haven't heard a report on the corn. Well, we'll have to see. Hopefully things uh, turn out uh, the best that they can with all the drought issues that you mentioned. Let's talk um, a little bit about what's going on in Washington, D.C., obviously getting Congress back in session. Uh, I know there's a lot of folks uh, in agriculture curious about the farm bill, but we also have uh, appropriations battles to uh, deal with, the potential government shutdown looming as well with some uh, roadblocks on the House side. Um, can you uh, give us an update on, on where things stand now that uh, Congress is back in session, Senator Grassley? Well, with the farm bill, I'll probably be able to tell you more after this afternoon because we have a meeting of agriculture members and we're going to get an update from the chairman and the ranking member in our respective caucuses about uh, the farm bill. But uh, we have not seen text yet and uh, we uh, members have not been involved in the negotiations. So I don't know that I can say this with accuracy or not, but this sort of environment kind of tells me that the chairman of the committee, Democrat uh, Senator Stabenow, and ranking Republican Boozman are probably having a hard time uh, reaching some uh, high-level agreements and parameters for the farm bill. And uh, unlike July, where I would have been very positive about not needing a one-year extension of the existing farm bill, it looks like we could have a one-year extension if things don't speed up pretty quickly. But maybe I'd give you a different answer this afternoon, but that's the best I can right now. But I met with uh, Iowa Farmers Union people yesterday. I'm meeting with Iowa Farm Bureau people today. And uh, the uh, the farm uh, Iowa Farm, Bureau, uh, Farm Union members, were telling me that they were hearing about the same thing from other people they'd talked about on the talk with on the hill. How about uh, what I alluded to with some of the uh, appropriations uh, issues and and spending issues? I know on the House side, the the Freedom Caucus members are are creating some roadblocks over there. The Senate, yeah, there's been some talk, may have some leverage to help kind of push some things through. I know. You've urged the Biden administration to change course on some of their spending policies following the latest CBO budget report. 
Can you comment on some of these issues that are in front of us with with spending as a whole? Well, for the first time in at least five years, and not very often before five years ago, the last time we did it, we're working on individual appropriation bills where we're actually going to be able to to amend and debate these bills separately, unlike the last several years and too often over the last uh, 15 years. Uh, we've always had one omnibus appropriation bill uh, just before Christmas that you would uh, vote up or down and uh, probably a trillion and six-tenths billion dollars as opposed to what we're doing this week on individual appropriation bills. Now, individual appropriation bills would have to be done by September 30th, and they won't be done by September 30th, but uh, we uh, have a situation where we can pass a continuing resolution that might, uh, let's say, go to the middle of uh, December. Then we have another uh, 50 days, 60 days to work on the individual appropriation bills. Uh, usually your question, uh, uh, the uh, you didn't state it this way, but uh, usually you end up by saying, is government going to shut down? I hope not. It costs money to shut down government. It costs money to open up government. Government's supposed to be a service to the American people, and you can't serve the American people if uh, government shut down. And uh, we had a shutdown in 2018. We had a shutdown in 2013. And I'll tell you, they're not fun. And I just hope we don't go to that. And if we can get a continued resolution, uh, we won't. I want to ask you as well, shifting a little bit away from agriculture and just the overall budget, I know you, you've been on top of uh, digging into President Biden's use of pseudonyms and personal email addresses for official government business, and we know all the uh, the issues and the, and the talk in the media in general about um, his uh, his son, Hunter, and, and everything surrounding that situation. I know a lot of folks in rural America are asking questions. They're maybe upset about it and the whole situation. Can you provide any any commentary, thoughts on, on that whole situation and, and what you've been working on there? Well, I don't control what goes on in the House of Representatives and don't follow it, but you heard yesterday that uh, the House of Representatives, uh, the speakers decide to assign three committees the responsibility of having what's called an impeachment inquiry. Now, that's not impeachment. It's just to get information whether or not anything's been done wrong. I started investigation of Hunter Biden uh, three and a half years before the House uh, started uh, became Republican, and they started looking into it. And uh, I, I think uh, we've exposed an awful lot, but it seems to me like the FBI and the Department of Justice uh, seems more interested in hiding facts and finding facts. And uh, impeachment inquiry will give uh, the House of Representatives a more constitutional authority uh, to get the facts that we need. And uh, it, it, it would certainly uh, supercharge congressional oversight and be part of uh, Congress's facts finding and uh, probably get a lot of information out uh, that I've been stonewalled on. And most of the information I've gotten out is because of whistleblowers within the bureaucracy. They, if they if they knew who they were, they'd probably get fired for giving me information that uh, we're constitutionally uh, entitled to based on the constitutional responsibilities of 
making sure that the president faithfully enforces the laws. And that's what the Constitution requires. Well, Senator Grassley, uh, we do appreciate your time here today on AOA. One final question I I wanted to circle back to on the ag side. Proposition 12, uh, we've uh, heard some talk that maybe something could get included uh, either in the Farm Bill or just something done by Congress in general to maybe reverse the decision from the Supreme Court. And I know we also have the EATS Act out there as well. That's another uh, piece of legislation that is getting a lot of attention right now. Any comment on on either one of those for us here today? Well, the EATS Act would do exactly what you're asking. And I'm a co-sponsor of that bill. And if we, I think we're going to have to get in the farm bill. I don't think we can get it up as a separate bill. And uh, and it's and if we got that passed, it would negate Proposition 12 uh, in in um, California. Even though the Supreme Court said California can do what it's doing, but they only said that because Congress has not ex- exercised any specific authority to negate Proposition 12 under the constitutional power of Congress to registrate. Uh, uh, to regulate interstate and foreign commerce. And so what the EATS Act would do would be to have Congress in our power to regulate interstate commerce. Uh, We would override Proposition 12, and Iowa pork producers would be able to sell their meat in in California. And that's very important because California is 13% of all the uh, consumption of uh, pork in, our, in, 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 the, in the entire country. So it's a big market that you can't. And you can't uh, satisfy California, uh, afford to satisfy California by changing all of our farrowing crates uh, to uh, 24 square feet. And we sh- you can't have people in California that don't know anything about agriculture uh, telling Iowans how to uh, run our uh, hog farms and uh, and it's also a slippery slope from this standpoint. If California gets away with keeping Iowa pork out of California, uh, any other state could do the same thing to Iowa, or Iowa could pass a bill uh, not allowing uh, California nuts in Iowa, and I'm not talking about political nuts. Well, we greatly appreciate the insight as always. Thank you for the time here on AOA today. Iowa Senator Chuck Grassley. Have a fantastic rest of your day, sir, and we'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Up next, we'll talk with Dan Hallstrom, the president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation here on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil, oil that runs smart. In today's troubled world, our USA Armed Forces stand ready to protect you, your family, and our American way of life. When veterans return to civilian life, They deserve your recognition and support. You can help put vets to work by donating your car, truck, or van to Patriotic Hearts. Your donation will directly support programs to help vets find jobs or even start their own business. Donate today for fast, free pickup of your vehicle, running or not. Operators are standing by to answer questions about making a tax-deductible vehicle donation. Find out how you can make a difference in the life of a United States veteran. Call 800-209-6416 for 24-hour response. Call 800-209-6416. 800-209-6416. That's 800-209-6416.
You're listening to AOA, Agriculture of America. Jesse Allen here. Let's get a check of how this market trade is acting on this Wednesday, one day removed from the USDA uh, WASDE report for the month of September. Cord wheat uh, a little higher. Corn sitting back a bit here, though, in uh, our trade, while soybeans are trading a bit lower. Really, the uh, WASDE report didn't give us anything bullish to chew on. Uh, it was more neutral to bearish on Wednesday's report. Had the WASDE numbers, had the updated crop production numbers as well. All that kind of combining together just gave us a, a bit of a neutral to bearish feel. Livestock trade is pushing mostly lower except deferred hogs. Seeing some green there, but front month hogs are pulling back a little bit here as we work through our trade. We did get consumer price index data out on Wednesday morning as well. The August headline CPI rose 0.6% month on month, matching analyst expectations, but triple the 0.2% gain seen in July. The headline CPI was up 3.7% year on year in August, up from analyst expectations of 3.6% and up from 3.2% the previous month. The market surprise, though, was in the core CPI numbers that exclude energy and food prices. The market expected to see higher energy prices show up in the headline numbers, but it expected the core numbers to continue to see improvement, and that didn't happen. Core CPI rose 0.3% month-on-month in August. Up from analyst expectations, it would remain unchanged at 0.2% gain. So something to keep an eye on there. Crude oil here in our uh, trade today, down just $0.08 cents right now, 88.76. The Dow Jones is quiet, down 16 points. 34,651. Overall, corn right around unchanged. Beans, seven to 10 lower. Wheat trade, three to seven higher in Chicago, KC, and Minneapolis wheat. And then again, lightly mixed in the cattle and hog trade. You're listening to AOA. I'm Jesse Allen reporting. 54. So basically, it's too late to start saving for retirement, right? Not right. Starting to save, even in your 50s, can really make a difference. Well, right now, saving seems hard to wrap my head around. Plus, with the way this year's been going. <laughs> hey, listen, it's okay. You still got this. Just go to aceyourretirement.org. It's an online tool from AARP that can help you get your retirement savings on track no matter your age. It's free and only takes about three minutes. I like three minutes. Yeah. At aceyourretirement.org, you'll chat with Avo, the friendly digital retirement coach. Just answer a few questions and you'll get a personalized plan and tips to help boost your retirement savings. Tips that are easy to understand and tailored to your lifestyle. I like that too. Plus, it's sponsored by AARP, so you know they got your back. Just head to aceyourretirement.org and make your plan to start saving for retirement. Thanks. That's aceyourretirement.org. A message from AARP and the Ad Council. Keeping America's farmers and ranchers informed. AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel and Cenex Roadmaster XL. Everyday products powered locally. That's Cenex. Well, we want to take a trip uh, halfway around the world right now. Joining us to discuss a uh, trade mission that they are on, as well as the most recent uh, July beef and pork and lamb export numbers. We welcome in the president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, Dan Hallstrom. Dan, it's great to talk with you. Thanks for making the time to join us while you're in Japan right now. Uh, we appreciate you being on. My pleasure, and thank you for having me, Jesse. 
Well, Dan, let's start. Talk about the uh, Heartland Tour that you're on right now, South Korea and Japan. Give us a, a little bit of background on what you guys are working on this week. Yeah, the Heartland team is really one of our highlights of the year. Uh, it's a team made up of uh, 20 of our producer members and leaders uh, from across the supply chain, pig producers, cattle producers, corn and soybean producers. And what we've done this week is uh, the first part of the week, we were in Seoul, South Korea. Uh, and now we're just uh, starting the second half of the week in Tokyo, Japan. But the whole idea is to give a cross-section uh, feel uh, from the market to the producers. We're, we visited, for example, Costco in Korea, which has... Uh, uh, several of the largest warehouses in the world for uh, beef movement. And uh, actually, the single largest one is in Seoul, Korea, for the whole 700 warehouses across the world for Costco. So we uh, we got a tour there yesterday and met with the buyers. Uh, we also um, had an activity uh, with uh, a seminar uh, around home meal replacement. Convenience is such a driving factor in a Korean market. Uh, so some of the value-added products made out of beef and pork uh, into these home meal uh, home meals. Uh, so that's a general idea of what, we, what we've been doing. Uh, and of course, meeting with the trade as well, with the importers and distributors. Uh, we just getting started in Japan, but we'll be doing the same thing this week and uh, uh, the week, last half of the week in Japan, uh, kind of capped off with a trade seminar that'll have roughly 300 uh, trade uh, people from the trade here in Japan attending and in our uh, Heartland team uh, the producers will be part of that on Friday. I have to think this is a great opportunity for your producers who are on the Heartland tour to get a first-hand look at how things are, are working in some of our top export markets like South Korea and Japan right? Exactly it gives them a really good uh, uh, you know hands-on feel of their checkoff dollars at work in particular um, and, and we get down to the weeds uh, we we uh, we had discussions with uh, some of the trade uh, yesterday in Korea uh, around uh, specific merchandising of some of the cuts, specifically the round cut on the beef side, which is uh, traditionally one of the more underutilized cuts. This is a level of detail that we're always uh, dealing with around the world with our offices. For them to see it firsthand really, uh, I think, is impactful. And and in the flip side of that is it's really effective with the trade, with the customers mm -hmm. buying our U.S. beef and pork, having them meet the producers that are producing it and the care that they put into it, the sustainability practices, the list goes on and on. Very effective. Well, we wish you continued safe travels this week, Dan. Let's dive into some of these numbers on the pork side. It looks like uh, more good numbers, especially Mexico, continuing on a record tear with uh, their imports of U.S. pork. Yeah, without a doubt. Uh, the trend lines from the first six months of the year continued in July on pork. Uh, we had a, a relatively big month in a slower time of year. July is not necessarily a peak demand time of year. So we ended up with two hundred and almost 220,000 tons, up 5% year-on-year, as you said, led by Mexico. And, uh, you know, that that's just a, a story that continues to unfold for the whole year, uh, uh, up 15% in July. And that gets us just under 15% for the year uh, off of a record last year. So, yeah, we're very happy there. But it's not only about Mexico, Central America, uh, Taiwan, uh, the Australian boneless ham business is uh, – is booming as well. Uh, and of course, some of the larger Asian markets, while down, uh, are seeing improvement as well um, as we get into uh, the summer months. So uh, yeah, broad-based growth continues to be the theme on pork.
Well, I know as well on the pork side, some of those different cuts that may not be popular here in the U.S., but they're popular in Mexico, in Asia, etc. Those could be a feature that sometimes leads the way on the pork side, isn't it, Dan? Exactly right. And, uh, you know, the uh, the primal cuts on the pork side, you know, the, the you know Asia and Japan in particular is big for the loin. Uh, you know, hams are very popular in Mexico, but it goes way beyond that. I mean, uh, we're seeing a lot of shoulder cuts being taken in both Asia and in Mexico. And of course, the big area that we don't talk a lot about is the variety meats, the pork variety meats. Uh, you know, uh, you're talking about more than 10% of what's exported is variety meats, and it's putting value into the front feet, the hind feet, the stomachs, the, uh, you know, livers and things like this. So, uh, yeah, pork variety meats, uh, you know, key markets there would be Mexico, but also China, uh, Southeast Asia, Peru. Um, so, yeah, they're very important to move the whole carcass. Let's talk about the beef export numbers. Overall, they look to be down a little bit, Dan, but I think we got to read between the lines here a little bit. Can you give us an update on the beef side? Yeah, the month of July came in down uh, at 103,000 tons. But once again, similar story to what we saw in June. The June and July numbers a year ago were just astronomical through the roof, uh, a bit of an anomaly for this time of year. Uh, so we were down 18 uh, percent for July, but but still we had some pretty good stories. Uh Mexico, uh, similar to the pork side, Mexico on beef continues to be uh, a little bit of a surprise, uh, a welcome surprise, up 30% year on year, and we're up 17% in Mexico on beef as well. Uh, But we also had Taiwan, which is down for the year just a little bit, but had a very big month in July. And this is significant because Taiwan is mainly um, chilled program value-added business. Uh, some of the higher value, higher quality business. And it's really welcome to see that, have, see them have a big month uh, in a market where we control retail in terms of imports. We have about an 80% share at retail, imported retail mm-hmm. in Taiwan. So, uh, uh, and there's some other markets uh, that this is nothing new. This has been going on for several months now. Africa, mainly driven by variety, meat, variety meats, is up on the beef variety meat side. Peru is up. That's also largely driven by variety meat. So there's some other stories that are pretty good. Uh, but but Mexico, <laughs> where will we be without Mexico this year on both beef and pork? It's been an amazing story. That's a great point, Dan. I have to ask as well, uh, we know limited supply here in the U.S. Got to rebuild this herd. Is that having a big impact on the export market right now for beef? Well, there's no doubt. Uh, you're down 5% on production, uh, give or take. And uh, there's a lot of cuts that are primarily exported. Uh, short plate comes to mind on the beef side. So you got 5% less short plates. But um, so, yes, in that regard, it is impacting it. But I, I would also argue that, of course, with production down, prices are up. That's everyone knows this. Mm-hmm. But in the face of higher prices for most of this year, demand continues on the beef side globally to be pretty resilient. And, uh, you know, part of the, the key to success here is uh, really taking this opportunity where there's not enough short plates, maybe not enough truck rolls in the export market to really look at other cuts. And we're making a lot of headway there, especially on the round primal, uh, things like shoulder clods from the chuck roll uh, generally uh, have availability. So some of these markets are taking these products and trying them and finding success with them where they might not otherwise had it. And this is part of what we do. Maxim, and, and a lot of the exporters do it as well. We work in tandem with them, try to find uh, you know partners in the foreign markets that, could, that are open to uh, other ideas and merchandising and, and 
and uh, this is uh, this is a little bit of the success as well. Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, joining us here today. Dan, lamb exports saw a rebound there as well, it looks like. Can you talk about that real quick? Exactly. Yeah, the lamb is looking pretty good. Um, you know, it's it's a much thinner market, of course, but, uh, you know, you're led there by the Caribbean, of course, and Mexico. And it was a solid month, uh, without a doubt. Uh, but once again, you have the similar situation there where the lamb production is lower over the last couple of years. But uh, yeah, and, and variety meats as well on the lamb side. So uh, it's something mm-hmm. we're constantly uh, working on as well. Dan, to wrap it up here, what's your overall assessment of how things are looking in the export market moving into the fourth quarter here of 2023 as you get a a good look globally, what's going on? What's your assessment of things? Well, there's, and to be honest, there's no doubt that we have headwinds. And one headwind is the strong dollar in Asia. That's part of what's holding us back, uh, especially in Japan here. Uh, We hit almost 148, 149 uh, yen to the dollar. Um, and, and you had a little bit strong dollar in some other parts of Asia, but not as bad as Japan. Uh, of course, reduced supply, as we already talked about on the beef side. But that being said, um, I, I would say there's still reason to be optimistic because uh, a lot of Asia needs to import. Uh, you know, Japan and Korea import over 50% of their caloric intake. So it's not like they're not going to buy because the prices are a, a bit higher in local currency terms. So we need to maximize the, the opportunity in, in different ways, like maximizing the value of the carcass, using new cuts. And, and as I said earlier, they've been, uh, there's a lot of signs that people are willing to do that in some of these key buyers in these markets in Asia. That, and we haven't talked about one other item, the food service recovery in Asia still mm-hmm. is not where it should be. Um, you know, I, the hotel that we're here in Tokyo, 50% occupancy. Normally, it'd be 80 or 90 percent. And, and keep in mind that the last COVID emergency declaration wasn't lifted till just a year ago. So we're only one year out of COVID here. So that may sound negative, and, it, and maybe it is short term, but long term, they will rebound. So there's going to be some tailwinds coming from food service in Asia. So another reason to be optimistic. So I would say overall on the beef side, cautiously optimistic. Pork side, uh, extremely optimistic. Um, this, we, we have a lot of tailwinds there. Um, you know, I think uh, Asia is also underperforming for pork. Mm-hmm. A lot of it has to do with food service. But, um, you know, we have one other advantage, uh, and that's the European situation on pork. It continues to struggle. They're consolidating massively over there, restructuring. So there's less available global pork uh, availability out of the EU. And this will also, it has been helping us. So, uh Anyway, um, I, I, I would say uh, extremely optimistic on the pork side as we go into the last part of 2023. With that, Dan Hallstrom, President and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation, thanks for joining us and safe travels back home. We appreciate the time. Yeah, thank you so much, Jesse. All right, we'll be back with more AOA brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, fueled by innovation, powered to perform on the way right after this. You are not your diagnosis. A medical chart is not your identity. And vision loss does not define you. Your drive shows who you are. And you are not alone. Because we are driven too. To be a beacon of strength. A champion of courage. An advocate for hope. You are not alone. Because we are stronger together. 
we drive the research for the cures we are finding. We're fighting macular degeneration, retinitis pigmentosa, Usher syndrome, and the entire spectrum of blinding retinal diseases. We fund. We fight. We We win. We, we, we We are are the the Foundation foundation Fighting fighting blindness. Blindness. Together, we are fighting blindness. Join the fight at fightingblindness.org. I'll take dig a little, learn a lot for 30 bushels. Soft and crumbly. Tom. How does healthy soil feel to the touch? Correct. Dig a little for 40 bushels. Sweet and earthy. Tom. What does healthy soil smell like? Yes, go again. Dig a little for 50 bushels. Dark, porous, and alive. Tom. What does healthy soil look like? You win. Understanding the basics and benefits of healthy soil can make your farm a winner, too, through lower input costs, better yields, and drought protection, which can lead to a healthier bottom line for your business. Contact your local Natural Resources Conservation Service office today to find out how you can unlock the secrets in your soil. This message brought to you by USDA's Natural Resources Conservation Service and this radio station. On the latest episode of the Monthly Grind, we talked corn as a feedstock for sustainable aviation fuel with Sarah McKay and John Del Monte from NCGA's Market Development Action Team. Essentially, when we say SAF or sustainable aviation fuel, that is fuel that is produced from sustainable feedstocks like corn, which is you know pretty much identical in chemistry to the traditional petro-based jet fuel, but is made from, from corn, whether it's from corn oil in one of those pathways for SAF, or you can also do an ethanol to jet. But that alcohol pathway is also another pathway that can be pursued for sustainable aviation fuel. When I look at the, the fuels market as a whole, is there's discussions around the automotive market maybe moving more toward electric. We sort of have to ask ourselves, so what happens to that ethanol demand? SAF creates a huge, huge market for that product. And ultimately, the bigger point is, is it creates demand for corn. Join us the first Wednesday of every month on AOA for the Monthly Grind. It's a show you don't want to miss. Join us every Tuesday for Around the Table, brought to you by CHS, as we examine how the modern cooperative system solves today's biggest challenges. We'll be talking to CHS experts and farmers and ranchers just like you, and we'll learn how cooperatives apply innovation and technology to help co-op owners get more value every day. Join us Around the Table every Tuesday, or visit cooperativeownership.com to learn more. The average American eats 250 eggs per year, which translates to a total annual consumption of 76.5 billion eggs in the U.S. About 60% of eggs produced here in the U.S. are used by consumers and about 9% are used by the food service industry. A chef's hat is said to have a pleat for each of the many ways you can cook eggs. The color can range from white to deep brown. Hens with white feathers and earlobes lay white-shelled eggs, while hens with red feathers and earlobes lay brown-shelled eggs. Because breeds that lay brown eggs are typically slightly larger birds, they require more food, making brown eggs usually more expensive than white. You can tell whether an egg is fresh or stale by dropping it in water. A fresh egg will sink, but a stale one will float. Eggs also contain all the essential protein, minerals, and vitamins, and egg yolks are one of the few foods that naturally contain vitamin D. And eggs are also good for your eyes because they contain lutein, which helps prevent age-related cataracts and muscle degeneration. These farm facts brought to you by the American Ag Network. 
Sports allow us to play, learn, and grow. But there's something more important than victory. At the U.S. Center for Safe Sport, we believe every athlete deserves to be safe. Safe from abuse and misconduct on and off the field. We equip athletes, parents, coaches, and others with the right education to recognize, prevent, and respond to harmful behavior. Join the movement to champion respect and end abuse at uscenterforsafesport.org. Informing America's farmers and ranchers, AOA. Now back to Jesse Allen. And welcome back to AOA here today, brought to you by Cenex Maxtron Synthetic Diesel Engine Oil. Everyday products powered locally, that's Cenex. Appreciate a few minutes of time there with Dan Hallstrom, the president and CEO of the U.S. Meat Export Federation. Uh, very gracious of him to make some time while he is uh, traveling in Tokyo, Japan. Also got a chance to talk with Senator Chuck Grassley of Iowa earlier in the show, as well as Cam Corals from the National Potato Council. Uh, so a lot of great folks on the show here today. We do appreciate all of their time joining us here on AOA. Let's take a look at a few news headlines uh, before we wrap it up here today. And of course, the WASDE report out from USDA on Tuesday. Let's run through some of these uh, details here. USDA releasing the World Agricultural Supply and Demand Estimates report for September. This month's corn outlook calls for slightly larger supplies and ending stocks. Projected beginning stocks for 23-24 are 5 million bushels lower and core productions forecast at 15.1 billion bushels. That's up 23 million from last month. Now the national average yields forecast at 173.8 bushels per acre. And that's down 1.3 bushels. Ending stocks are up 19 million bushels to 2.2 billion. A season average corn price unchanged at $4.90 per bushel. Soybean supply and use changes for 23-24 include lower beginning stocks, production, crush, exports, and ending stocks. The soybean yield of 50.1 bushels per acre is down 0.8 bushels from last month. Ending stocks are projected at 220 million bushels, down 25 million from last month. A season average soybean price forecast at $12.90 per bushel, up 20 cents from last month. Got a few comments uh, on the report from Jim McCormick with agmarket.net on Tuesday afternoon. Here's his reaction to some of the numbers. Right now, I'd say the corn number was definitely a little bit negative. Finding it was almost 800,000 harvested acres, offset the lost production. Carryout is growing over 2.2 billion. That is not bullish. The bean number came in very close to expectation yield-wise. Slight adjustment of demand, slight adjustment of acres. That gave you a carryout of 2.2 billion, a little bit above the average trade guess, but definitely tightening up compared to a year ago. Now, the wheat outlook for the supply and use is unchanged this month. The projected 23-24 season average farm price is also unchanged at $7.50 per bushel. Now, corn production's up, soybean cotton production down for 2022. According to USDA's crop production report issued Tuesday, crop production uh, for corn up 10% from last year, forecast at 15.1 billion bushels. Soybean growers are expected to decrease their production 3% from 2022, forecast at 4.15 billion bushels. Finally, cotton production down 9% from 2022 at 13.1 million 480 pound bales. 
Planted and harvested acreage estimates for corn, cotton, and soybeans were reviewed based on all available data, including the latest certified acreage data from the Farm Service Agency. As a result, area planted to corn is estimated at 94.9 million acres, up 1% for the previous estimate. Area planted to soybeans is estimated at 83.6 million acres, up slightly. An area planted to cotton estimated at 10.2 million acres, down 8% from the previous estimate. USDA surveyed more than 7,000 producers across the country and conducted objective yield surveys for the report. Well, Ag Secretary Tom Vilsack told Growth Energy's annual Hill Summit it's a make-or-break moment for the biofuels industry to make the case for sustainable aviation fuel. Vilsack told Ethanol Advocates he's educating other agency heads and even the president on the need for sustainable aviation fuel and the life cycle emissions formula and tax credits required. But you all have to understand something else, which is that you have to be able to make the case that your product is in fact a low-carbon fuel which means you got to do something with the CO2. Vilsack argues farmers must understand the significance of expanding ethanol markets and stop blaming electric vehicles. Farmers come up to me and they say, oh, will you guys stop talking about electric vehicles? No, because we want to make sure that we continue to have manufacturing in this country because it employs a lot of people. It's not going to put you guys out of business. It's not. We're going to have cars that use ethanol for a long, long time. Vilsack also says that EVs are not the issue. The issue is this industry taking full and complete advantage of a 36 billion gallon industry that has never existed, that now will. But you got to fight for it. And Vilsack says the airlines want it and he wants it to keep small towns and farm families in business. 36 billion gallons. I don't know. I'm not good at math, but that's a lot more than we're producing now. It supports what? Today we support what? 400,000 jobs? What, more than that? So if you double the industry, that's small towns thriving. Now, Vilsack expects modeling and treasury tax guidance for sustainable aviation fuel to be done by the end of the year. An effort, Vilsack says President Biden backs and touted in a speech as a win for farmers. And finally, here on today's program, located in Manhattan, Kansas, the National Bio and Agro Defense Facilities, a state-of-the-art animal disease laboratory. The facility, operated by the Department of Agriculture, helps to protect against the threat and potential impact of serious animal diseases. NBAF will replace the 68-year-old Plum Island Animal Disease Center, where USDA's Agricultural Research Service and Animal and Plant Health Inspection Service currently conduct foreign animal disease research, training, and diagnostics. ARS and APHIS will transfer their research and diagnostic missions from the Plum Island location to the National Bio and Agro Defense Facility and will operate the facility jointly. National Cattlemen's Beef Association Chief Veterinarian Dr. Kathy Simmons talks about the new facility. This facility has a BSL-3 level lab and then the most uh, threatening pathogen lab, the BSL-4 level lab within the nucleus of the building. And we were able to tour NBAF and it looks like a wonderful facility. It seems to be very well staffed and I think the transition is going to be made here this fall 
all of all of the scientists and the pathogens to come over from Plum Island. The Department of Homeland Security has already given USDA the keys to the facility, and USDA is now working to facilitate the start of the work to be done. It gives us a state-of-the-art facility. We become one of the big five now or, uh, who have BSL-4 animal disease facilities uh, globally. There are only five countries that do, and we are one of them. And I think that gives us um, uh, a leg up in a lot of work that we can do uh, now uh, that maybe we couldn't have as easily in the past. With brand new facilities, and uh, much of the staff came over uh, from Plum Island. Well, we're out of time here today on AOA, brought to you by Cenex Premium Diesel, more complete additive package for a more complete burn. I'm your host, Jesse Allen. Thank you for joining us as always. Have a fantastic rest of your day. Non-attorney paid spokesperson. Could your house go into foreclosure? Are you behind on your mortgage payments? Does it seem like the bank has no interest in helping you save your home and you feel like you have nowhere to turn for help? then we have good news for you. Foreclosure Protection Services can help save your home as they specialize in foreclosure assistance. That's all they do. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, being threatened with foreclosure, have been denied a loan modification, or been the victim of a predatory loan, it's critical that you call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. Their network of attorneys and their agents are available to speak to you now. If you're behind on your mortgage payments, Foreclosure Protection Services can help stop the foreclosure process. Call today before it's too late. New laws are in effect that may save your home. Call Foreclosure Protection Services now at 800-926-1701. 800-926-1701. That's 800-926-1701. As an organ donor, your story doesn't have to end, but good in you can live on. In fact, you could save up to eight lives with your gifts. Your heart could keep beating, your kidneys could keep filtering, and your intestines could keep on digesting for others. And that's not all. You can improve the lives of 50 more people as an eye and tissue donor, restoring sight and health. And you're not just helping out the person receiving the transplant. You're touching whole families with your life-saving gift. Register in minutes. Just go to organdonor.gov. You'll be happy you did. And just maybe, someone else will be happy too. Sign up today. Go to organdonor.gov. It saves lives. U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, Health Resources and Services Administration.